I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Chris Green, talking to us from Chicago, where he is a lecturer in the English department at DePaul University. He has authored four books of poetry, and he has put together four anthologies, the latest of which is quite interesting. It's called American Gun, a poem by 100 Chicagoans. And we're going to talk about that and... Uh, Hear some of his poetry in the next little bit of time here. So glad you could do this, Chris, because I want people to hear about this project. Thanks so much for having me, Charlie. I really appreciate it. So I, as I mentioned to you, you sent me great information, but I thought it would be better to just let you talk about it rather than me summarizing your words. So briefly, tell us what American Gun is. Yeah, it, American Gun is um, a booklet Pantoum that is written by 100 Chicago poets. Um, it's a wide range of, you know, in terms of age, gender, poetic experience, ethnicity, etc. Um, turns out I know about 30 poets in Chicago, uh, but fr from there on, it was uh, a matter of, um, you know, pushing myself beyond, you know, my own poetic community and um you know reaching across the city um you know there's very well-known poets in the poem uh like ed hirsch um uh, hockey matabuti ed roberson um uh, anna castillo kevin colwell you know people like that um but there's also you know i i reserve the the final quarter of the poem for young poets on chicago south and west side and and the very final turn, like the last 10 uh, stanzas are written by uh, student poets in two of Chicago's alternative high schools, which statistically experienced by far the most gun violence in the city. So the, the poem itself has an interesting arc, just in terms of all the different voices, the different sort of waves of imagery and a voice that, you know, um, flow in and out as, as you read it. So it took me about two years um, to put the whole project together. And um, it actually, uh, there's a Zoom launch of the book on November 20th um, uh, from 6 to 7.30. I, I can eventually send you the link for that. But, um, but the book has unfortunately, uh, in a way, received a lot of um, media attention because I think a lot of us felt like the gun violence would possibly go down during the pandemic, but in fact, it, it spiked. And, um, so yeah, so that's, uh, that's the overall project. And, um, I, you know, I think, you know, traditionally I might've done, uh, an anthology of a hundred different poets, each writing and reading their own poems about gun violence. But in this case, it's, um, a communal poem, you know, it's like a chorus of voices all, you know, writing uh, one poem together, which sort of, which makes it a unique, uh, a unique thing. Yeah. And uh, also, you might want to tell folks uh, the fact that it's a pontoon, which helps, helps pull right. things together and just kind of for people that don't quite remember all their forms. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Yeah, in a pantoum, every line is repeated twice. And in my mind, that was a, an appropriate 
um, form because it sort of reflects the, you know, the repetitive, repetitive cycle of gun violence in our city. Um, you know, it, it has sort of a, and it also has sort of a rapid fire kind of semi-automatic quality when you hear every line twice. So, um, so it seemed, it, you know, it's, it's not normally a, a group form, but it seemed to embrace this, you know, this project in that, in, in its way, so. Yeah, it seems like it, and, and it seems like it was quite doable in a way to hold things together. Each poet's contributing yeah. four lines, two of them yeah. are repeated, repeated lines. I mean, I, w I right. was, full disclosure, I'm one of the hundred poets, and uh, yeah, I found it quite doable. And it yeah. was interesting to not know uh, what preceded it or what was going to come after it, the four lines right. that I contributed. And that was a really right. interesting process. I'm sure that motivated people to participate. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was as much uh, of a weight on each poet as they wanted to take on, you know, because they're really only adding two lines, but at the same time, you're trying to sort of, you know, match or respond to someone else's lines. And you don't, you know, I mean, typically everybody took it very seriously because they wanted to elevate themselves as best they could, given that the topic at hand and the fact that they're you know, using someone else's lines as, as part of their own stanza. So, and, and as you say, it was done exquisite corpse style. So each poet only saw the stanza previous to theirs. They didn't see the, the whole poem up until that, up until their stanza. So that kind of kept everyone in the moment of the poem, you know, it didn't allow them to possibly sort of worry too much about what, what had come before, but just to simply look at the previous poet's work and try to try to respond. It could be mind boggling to have a, a whole bunch of stanzas and then try to add to it, yeah. I think. But Definitely. to add to yeah. the single stanza, that was yeah. a very, very reasonable request, yeah. you know. Yeah, it was an interesting process because I would wake up every morning hoping that the previous poet had sent me their stanza so then I could then send it to the next person. So I was sort of like a baker getting up, you know, very early to try to move this cantum along. It was, uh, uh, yeah, it, it, again, like I say, it took, I, I, I think it took about six months for me to get about 75% of the way through the poem, but then the last part of the poem took almost another year to, to finally mm -hmm. nail out all the younger poets uh, across the city to try to get, uh, to get the whole thing and finished, but it was definitely worth it in the long run. It was a, it's a really good idea. And, and the final product is really, really wonderful. You mentioned that it's published by Big Shoulders. Can right. you say a little bit about Big Shoulders? Sure, yeah. yeah. So um, Big Shoulders Books is a unique press, really across the country or even the world. It's a, a press that I helped found in Paul's English department about seven, eight years ago. Um, we. Our mission of the, the mission for the press is basically to give voice to communities in Chicago that don't normally have one, and then we give the books away for free. So the, the first book that we put out was edited by Miles Harvey. Uh, it's called How Long Will I Cry? Uh, voices of Youth Violence. So it's a series of oral mm -hmm. names by ex-gang members, by judges, police officers, parents of you know, children who passed, who died because of violence. Um, and we've probably given away close to 60,000 copies of that book. Whoa. Um, I did the second book, which was called I Remember Chicago Veterans of War, 
which has the, the memories of 50 um, Chicago veterans from World War II all the way through Afghanistan. And we've probably given away close to 40,000 copies of that book. So it's uh, a really unique press. It's funded by um, a, a couple, Bill and Irene Beck. Um, uh, it's, you know, and they are very generous. Um, and they basically let us do, you know, whatever we, we, we can think of that would, would serve the city, you know, at any given time. So um, the, the next book after American Gun will be a book about uh, Chicago immigration. It'll be a series of oral narratives, uh, interviews with um, immigrants to Chicago. Fabulous. And can, yeah. can anyone uh, get a hold of these books? Yeah. Or, or how's it work? Uh, yeah, it's really easy to do. You simply go to the Big Shoulders Books website and there's an ordering uh, page for each book. You simply can ask for any number of books for free and they will be mailed to you for free if the, if the request is reasonable. Wow. We do ask that you just, uh, you know, type a little bit about why you, why you need, you feel like you need the book. And we've received some amazing responses from all over the world, but that's, that's, that's really all we ask. And then also just hope that everyone will possibly, um, contribute some money or time to some of the nonprofits that are listed at the back of each book. Yeah. So since at the back of American gun, there's a list of, um, organizations working, uh, you know, against violence in, in Chicago. And, uh, we try to do that in every book so that, um, people can actually do something as a result of, of, of reading the book. And do you, and are there, there are some kind of like, uh, teacher resources also in the backward discussion, I forget exactly what it is. Yeah, right. There, uh, again, in each book, there is a study guide. Um, one of the uh, audiences that we hope to reach are teachers, you know, sure. particularly like, you know, junior high and high school teachers who could, um, you know, theoretically use these books as texts in their classes. So, yeah, so we're definitely... Um, you know, we would love everyone to explore the, the Big Shoulders Books website. There's typically a book trailer for each book um, and, and other resources, um, as well as like a, there's a digital download for each book as well. If that's, you know, more convenient for people, you can just download the ebook for free. So, uh, so yeah, uh, Big Shoulders is oh. worth uh, exploring. The whole thing's just great. Is, is it bigshoulders.org or something like that? Or? Uh, it's bigshouldersbooks.com. Bigshouldersbooks.com. Remember that, folks? Uh, at least go take a look, see what you think. Oh, this is great. Well, why don't we hear some of your poetry while you're promoting all these good projects? And of course, you are a poet. <laughs> okay, sure. Um, yeah, I, um, I've got a few here um, that are, I guess, somewhat political. Uh, you know, normally I'm just writing about mm -hmm. my own personal history, but um, uh, here I'll, I'll only share one that I that I wrote recently that's um, about something happening now. It's called Meanwhile in the White House. The only moving thing, his malignant brows like overloaded clouds, they dip to rise endlessly. He prefers the hysterics of inflection or the overstepping innuendo. The press sizes up for his flustered ballooning, all that round, long-winded fabric to the New York City limits. 
He is of one mind, like a child who lumbers tonelessly over the edge, his mood an indecipherable tweet, the world wholly meaningless. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, we get it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Kindest poem I could write about Trump, you know. I, The whole time I was writing that, I, I was thinking I would rather write an endless rant full of you know, every curse word I've ever learned, but uh, it was an exercise in restraint, really, yeah. that kind of poem. Yeah, understood. <laughs> it just keeps getting worse. Yep. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> so, we're all waiting. When We're recording this when? The uh, very last day of August, and we're, we're all waiting to see how many COVID cases we get out of the uh, acceptance yeah. speech at the White House with... 1,500 oh, people, overwhelmingly maskless, and with yep. their seats pretty much next to each other. But they moved them a separate yeah. few inches, but not much. So it might end up yeah. looking like Sturgis Motorcycle Rally. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, it's too bad. I mean, but, I mean you, you lived in the city. You remember I, sure. the day after he won the last election, I was walking up, uh, I think it was Wabash Avenue, to go teach a class. And all I could see was the Trump Tower with his name, you know, mm. his big fat name was the on my horizon as I was walking up the street. And I, and, and to this day, that's my, my dream is to have that name, you know, removed from that building, having him removed from office and having his name removed from our cityscape. You know? Yeah. So, well, here's hoping. <laughs> November's coming. Let's see what happens. Let's hear another yeah. poem. Yeah. Okay. All right, this one's a little, little silly, but it's called An American. At the risk of sounding tedious, our nation is in its final protest against sense, a backward way of becoming. Consider our neighbor's bulldog fudge. He kept falling through the gaps in their stairs. Instead of nailing backs to the steps, they made fudge fat, so fat he won't fall through. The romance of moderation is over. We know what we are. Now we hear him coming, an aspirate F, an American walking all alone. Like a new idea of progress, he has a wholly different mass. In our folly and doom, he rises without glory and rumbles into view. I'm gonna to choose to believe that's a true story. It is true. <laughs> it's, it's, when something's that bizarre, you say, no, he yeah. didn't make that up. He saw oh, the yeah. dog get fat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's this uh, family who moved into the house, our old house. We sold this family mm -hmm. our house. And um, I know the stairs that are that, you know, problematic. Um, and, you know, I think any most, maybe most Europeans would have just nailed backs to the stairs. But in America, you just feed your dog more. So. <laughs> <laughs> Consumerism yeah. is an answer. There's a yeah <laughs> that fits right in the all-american yeah. approach <laughs> yeah yeah so anyway yeah would you like another sure. one yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. After, after our talking there it's good to give i have a good dose of poetry here okay i agree um let's see i'll just pull out a couple okay here's uh one called spinning wheel we were not exactly poor but poorish with a song flashing, thumping, spinning by blood, sweat, and tears. 
I have never seen a less lonely stereo, nor, nor heard the way I did in 1975 in that tiny house, nor danced as we did those mornings. I am 10 and thin, almost invisible, rocking my feathered hair. Mom whirls in bra and underwear. Dad screams, sings, drop all your troubles by the riverside. Our clean animal sweetness in 1975 in Utah, faithful, uneventful Utah, home of dumb, dumb Brigham Young. True, there is no end, but there was a beginning before mother forgave father for everything. His deep brown death-bound eyes some 45 years ago when we were before. Hmm. Didn't know you'd lived out west. Yeah, I'm originally from Park City, Utah. Uh, oh. And, and, and spent a lot of time in, in Salt Lake City, which is really sort of like the opposite of Chicago in, in, in many ways. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a lot, there's always a good story uh, to tell about Utah, of course. Um, so <laughs> anytime there's a shooting in the country, the Utah legislature uh, passes some more liberalized uh, type of gun law. You know, that's, that's the kind of thing that happens there quite often, so. Yeah. Hmm. How long? How long have you been in Chicago then? Um, I've been here over twenty years. Okay. Yeah, I moved from Utah to Florida and then in, then to Chicago. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we only get back to Utah occasionally, but again, I I have friends with you know amazing stories. I, I have a friend who was living in Virgin, Utah, where for a time the local government made it a law that you had to own a gun, and <laughs> Also, saying that you needed to have a sign in your front yard saying whether or not you supported the United Nations because they felt like the UN was a terrorist organization uh, down there. So you just don't know what's going to happen there in Utah. These and wow. I, guess <laughs> I did not know it was that strange. <laughs> it can be that strange, especially in the smaller towns, you know. Mm. Yeah. So. Well, well, Bennington proudly painted its black lives matter on the street yesterday oh wow that's kind of late for benny it took a while well they went and got official approval on all this stuff so but yeah. that was all approved and a yeah a handful of uh folks who didn't like it tried to come down and stand in the way and oh, yeah. all of our police force was out it was oh, pretty exciting but it was, it was it went well yeah it went well yeah and, and it's there at least yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I always think of the fact that Shirley Jackson was was living in Bennington, you know, and how as as great as she was, just that you know, she and her family received a lot of threats because they were Jewish, and um, you know, there, even though Bennington seems like the bastion of, of, of liberality, there's there's I guess there's always at least some people that are going to fight against anything like that. So. Yeah, there's a dark underbelly, you yeah. might say. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so. I'll spin another tale. <laughs> okay, uh, let me find something here. Uh, this is uh, probably my latest poem. Um, it's called Life as a Roof. An uncomforting sign. I see three motionless crows standing in a triangle. Now the town's tornado siren a shuddering of thunder as if buried inside the body. If a storm can break your heart, the old elms are torn apart. 
What we see is wind, which is the color of nothing, insolent wind as its laughter cleaves wood. Then, like a final illness, ice balls bigger than your fist, the whole scene pummeled. The roofer counts missing shingles, one broken window. The damage reflects nothing but the selfishness of my good luck. Then after he finishes his cigarette, out of the thick sky, he says, last week his wife died. There's a blush to his skin, a triangle of red on his cheek. A few sounds of apology escape my mouth. My fear, it asks him why he is here. He doesn't lie. He needs the money. And because he says someone has to. I leave him to climb the little precipice of my house. I'm standing on the sidewalk, remembering what it is to feel useless. I study his gloved hands, working the spine of the roof. I notice how the crows shadow his movements. Like the muscles in his mind, they pick through debris. They are impossible to disturb and darker than you can believe. And like cancer, they spread. The three are now six and slowly finally fly up, having fed to overlook Tony on his knees, pounding nails in the Midwest. Yeah, I, I get that feeling. I'm very inept at stuff. And I feel bad watching other guys do things yeah. I'm just paying them yeah. for, you know, oh, yeah. like climbing on the roof or something like yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Well, we've had a lot of extreme weather here in Chicago lately. Right. No. So this, when climate change, I mean, I think people in Chicago, like probably a lot of big cities, don't feel like tornadoes can, can touch them, you know, but they can and they are. So uh, I think almost everybody at this point realizes that climate change is, is very real and immediate, you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was just something that happened very recently that I felt like I, I could write about. So. And the winters are noticeably warmer than they had been a couple of yeah. decades ago. Yeah. There's no question about it. Yeah. Well, like I say, I attended Bennington uh, for my MFA, and I remember how cold those January residencies were. Um, you know, they're mm -hmm. women, people getting frostbite walking from the dorms to the reading lectures if they had an earring in or something like that, you know. Um, but yeah, yeah, winter is definitely different, you know, almost mm -hmm. everywhere. Uh, even Utah, they're saying that there's really not going to be any discernible snowfall within like 40 years. Mm. Uh, so uh, only the highest peaks in Colorado will, will still be, you know, getting, you know, some kind yeah. of measurable snowfall. But uh, all the snow will be made for as long as they can. <laughs> Great. Can, yeah. You know, so that's spires. Yeah. Hey, here's a question yeah. I like to ask people. We haven't got a lot of time, but I, I got to hear this sure. from you. For when I have people who teach, I like to say, well, what are, what's a prime thing you really like to impart to students when you're telling them how to write a poem? Uh, do you have, do you have any like one or two big things you really push on? Yeah. I mean, I think it's probably me speaking from my own, um, mm -hmm experience in a way is that uh, one thing is that it's really easy to get caught up in fashion. Uh, you know, for a long time, there's, you know, there, it was popular to write very um, sort of abstracted um, kind of, um, you know, academic, elusive poetry. And it's, 
very easy and almost kind of fun to write, you know, that way. And um, I think now, especially with all the, the, the problems that we're facing, um, poems are kind of coming around to being a little more direct um, than they have been. And I just encourage my students as I encourage myself to write about things that I'm emotionally invested in, you know, that I, that I really care enough about to revise and revise and revise as much as I can. It's, it's not so much about writing poetry, it's about rewriting poetry. And, and you really can only do that as much as you need to if you really, if you really care about, you know, the memory of the subject that you're, that you're writing about. So, so that's what I encourage my students to do is just like, don't, don't put off that poem you want to write about your grandparent that just died or some significant something that happened in your life like you know write that now you know there's there's no reason not to and I think that that keeps you interested in writing more than anything else it's just you know wrestling with your your own life the significant parts of your life um, in, in poems so I think that's my my main tip and the second thing I guess though is to not make those poems anecdotal, but to leave some mystery or some openness there, find ways of kind of blurring the paint in your poems, of uh, kind of reaching outside of the the actual experience you might be writing about, you know, um, and relying on exaggerated imagery or the power of metaphor to to open up something that might seem personal that might help you make it more universal. So I think those are generally speaking, those are the two kinds of things that I, I tell myself and that I also tell my students in one way or another. Yeah, is, is it accurate to say that that second idea is sort of, be sure you answer the so what question? Like, why are you yeah. telling me this little story? Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. That's exactly it. And, and but that's the kind of thing that a professor really often can't say. <laughs> Even what I'm thinking, you know, and, and not just for my students, but for my own work. Yeah. It's like it's, that's the most uncomfortable question, but really the most, you know, important one is like, so what, you know? Um, yeah, and I think poets have been there. They've written a really interesting anecdote, yeah. and yeah. you have to stop and say, well, and then, uh, without yeah. getting too pedagogical and beating the reader over the head with, uh, yeah. this is what it means, folks. Uh, yeah. So it's an interesting uh yeah. line to walk yeah and i think metaphor really is the key you know i think i often when i see a, a student's poem or even my own my own poems if there's just one uh thread that's being followed i'll say you know let's add a second element to the poem because as frost said mm. it's metaphor it's really a matter of kind of comparing finding two things that you don't think could ever be connected and then daring to connect them and then just kind of seeing what opens up as a result of that, uh, that, oh. that can, so. Making a um, Robert Bly yeah. leap. <laughs> let's, let's let it leap. Yeah. yeah. You know, we're also yeah, used to can. writing essays and making logical connections that leaping is, is freeing, you know, it's what makes poetry poetry. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, thanks a lot, Chris. This has been really most enjoyable for me to talk to you and get all this information and, and hear your poems. Thanks so much, Charlie. It's great to see you. All right. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our featured poet today, Chris Green from Chicago, Illinois, the editor of American Gun. And you can look into that and other books from Big Shoulders Books.
be with us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Mundley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.